You are listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast, brought to you by Bobby Hayeri and Darren Venter, founders of the investors agency and Debar. With over 20 years experience in real estate between them and having bought hundreds, if not thousands of properties around the country, you are in the right place to learn all things property. This podcast is designed to educate and empower everyday Aussies to take control of their future through property. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 14 of the Lazy Equity Podcast. And on this episode, I'm super excited to have a very special guest back on the show. So he's a father of two, he's a multiple business owner, he's a financial advisor, he's an accountant. Matt Brown, welcome back on the show, mate. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Excited to be here. Thank you very much. How was your, uh, how was your Christmas break? Mate, it was epic. Went away to Fraser Island with the family and the kids, uh, set up the the Jeep so we can just live out of that uh, for two and a half weeks. And that was just amazing. And then stopped in on Byron Bay on the way back just to recalibrate some luxury into the holiday. (laughs) How um, How many weeks was the trip in total? About three and a half altogether. Wow. So a good long break to recharge the batteries at the end of the year. And it's been a hectic start to the year, actually. So, yeah, I'm excited for what 2023 has in store for us. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think 2023 is going to yield a lot of opportunities for those who are sort of ready. So we're super excited to uh, start the year as well. So I guess today for the guests, we want to talk about SMSF purchases and uh, and the value that they can bring. And obviously, for us as buyers agents, the last one or two years, it's it's become a lot more prominent in terms of people buying through the SMSF. So I guess... Yeah, let's talk about why people do it or let's talk about SMSFs in general and and, and the benefit of of going through an SMSF rather than your general super. Okay, so before we just jump it out, I just want to go back to like what is superannuation? Sure. Because a lot of people don't actually realise like what their superannuation is and the power that that they can utilise it for to achieve their long-term financial goals. So the majority of us think of retirement as reaching a certain age and then having some amount of money paid to us on an ongoing basis so that we can retire. So the superannuation system was set up because the Keating government realised that we won't be able to fund all these people's retirement for the rest of their lives. So was the superannuation industry was set up during the Keating government? Yep. So I I would have thought it would have been around for a lot longer than that. It wasn't. That was in the 90s? 90s. Wow, okay. So they did have superannuation for government employees, but that's when they made it compulsory. So all employers had to now start contributing a percentage of their income into superannuation, which started at 9%, and it's now at 10%. So that's where the superannuation has started, and from there it's continually evolved. But the reason that the superannuation industry was created, or the environment, was so that you would save over your working lifetime to fund your retirement. So that is the sole purpose of your superannuation. But it's your money. And what most young people don't realise, and when I say young people, people under the age of 40, is that every year they get their annual statement and it says 35,000, 45,000, 65,000. But they don't actually realise that that's their money and how it's invested, the fees that are being charged on it, they should be taking very close care of that money. Like if I gave you a bag, 40,000 cash, you're going to know exactly where you put it, <laughs> all the fees that are paid on it, and your expected return on, on that investment over a period of time. Yeah. But because your superannuation is just a piece of paper that comes out annually, yeah. people don't really worry about it. And if anything from this is I want everyone to find their superannuation statement, check the fees that you're paying, check the asset allocation that your investments are actually in, yeah. and then just do a quick review and make sure that it aligns with what you expect. And I think what that comes down to, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, I think it comes down to people's inability to delay gratification. So when you said 
most people under the age of 40 considered young. Most people who are under the age of 40, well, a lot of people that are under the age of 40 are not thinking about what they can do in terms of retirement when they're 60 or 70. Now, there are a lot of people that are, but I would say majority of people are not. So I think that's one of the reasons why super is so such a passive investment or people don't even think about it and they just do it because it's compulsory rather than you know making a, 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 a decision actively. Oh, mate, I 100% agree. And the big difference is that if you're an employee, your employer must pay superannuation guarantee for you yeah. in line with your salary. Yeah. If you're self-employed or a sole trader, most of those people do not contribute to super. They get all their money and then they keep it and they invest or they fund their lifestyle, whatever it is they're doing. So yeah. the superannuation environment was set up to, to fund your retirement. And if you don't start looking at it, if, you think, if you're at age 40 now, you're halfway through your working career over halfway probably yeah, yeah, yeah that's so right. if you aim to wrap it up at 60 yeah. i don't know anyone none of my clients come to me and say matt i'm looking forward to working until i'm 80 <laughs> all of them are, all of them are like matt how can we achieve financial security and time freedom as soon as possible 100 yeah? how do we get there exactly and then so the fundamentals of that is you need to have an investment strategy outside of superannuation and then an investment strategy inside superannuation so you can start drawing an income from 60 yeah. So, so that's yeah. the age that uh, that's the age that you, people can access their super is from sixty. Correct. If you retire from your employment, then you can start accessing your superannuation and retire and start drawing an income stream from that superannuation fund at age sixty. You can get access to it at fifty five, yeah. or depending on your age, and have like a transition to retirement strategy put into place. Yeah. I'm not going to go into all of that now. We okay. can talk about that other stuff. Yeah. But. 60 is the milestone where you can start pulling out your money tax-free from superannuation. Okay. I know you said we don't want to get into that now, but one question did arise and I wanted to ask if someone did want to take it out earlier, does it just mean they need to pay tax on that on, on that uh, income? Yeah. So they do pay a, por a portion of tax on that if they're bringing it out earlier. Yep. But also, so there are some reasons that you can get access to your superannuation. So if you have critical illness, if you have significant financial stress, yep. or if you have a sh very short time to live. Yep. Okay. So medical reasons, imminent death. Sure. Uh, so there are some reasons you can get access to your superannuation before sure. the age of 60, but that's life has really taken a left turn. Yeah. Okay, cool. So property and super. So how do you do that? So, yeah. so if whether you have a, uh, a retail superannuation fund or a self-managed super fund, you can still get access to property as an asset class. One, you invest through a real estate investment trust, so yep. a REIT, or if you have a self-managed super fund, then you can actually buy direct property. Yep. And the main two difference between those things is in the retail space, you're trusting that someone else is managing your superannuation investments for you. Yep. Same with a retail investment trust. You're trusting that a property manager or property investment firm is going to be making the best investment decisions for your future. Sure. And yep. if you think back to 2008, the global financial crisis, all yep. these property funds that blew up was because that they were guaranteeing eight, nine, 11% income returns being paid out. But what they were doing is they were just refinancing their portfolio every year, pulling out the equity and continuing to pay the income. Sure. So you need to be re so you either need to take a lot of interest in what you're investing into, which I rec highly recommend, yeah. or you sort of do it yourself and you know exactly what you're investing into. Yeah. Okay. So, and what you just mentioned in terms of all those property property funds going bust because they were they were doing a return on their eight or nine percent return. Essentially, that works if you're still getting equity in your property portfolio, but we all know that that doesn't happen permanently forever. 
Correct. And also the way that commercial real estate works is the valuation of the property is directly linked to the income that that property generates. So it's on a multiple of the rental return. So if you think about huge commercial properties that are leased out or whole buildings, then those rental returns can come under stress when the economy decreases or, you know, when we go into a rough economy. Commercial property is one of those industries or one of those sectors that um, can come under quite a bit of pressure. Yeah, and that's one of the questions we get often whether we sh- whether we recommend buying commercial property or, or just residential. And and the number one thing we say is with commercial property, you're more bound by the local economy or by what by, by the global economy. When there is a recession or a downturn, people will close their businesses down much faster than having to move out of their home. They'll do everything they can to stay at home and pay their bills and pay their mortgage or pay their rent. But their businesses will be the first thing to sort of shut down there. So totally aligned. Yep, correct. So a self-managed super fund, what is it? So a self-managed super fund is a trust, exactly the same as your existing superannuation fund. For example, if you've got REST super, that's a trust structure that's been put together. And the trustee is REST and they've got investment managers and then you're the member and your money is there and it's pulled together with all the other members and it's a unitized trust. So you have X amount of dollars invested in that particular trust and therefore you get a return on that trust over periods of time. Sure. That's a structure. A self-managed super fund is exactly the same, except you're not outsourcing anything. You are, you become the trustee yourself. You in charge of the investment decisions and you're taking responsibility for your money. So that's the main difference between a self-managed super fund. As it sort of says, it's self-managed. Now there is some annual compliance that needs to be adhered to. So you need to do tax returns every year and they need to be audited by an external auditor. So that can be a little bit cumbersome at times, but if you get a good accountant, it's it's really simple process. So the main decision that you need to think about if if you are in this position where you've got a retail super fund and you're thinking about setting up a self-managed super fund, one of the key drivers is what are the current fees that I'm paying? So what is the current fees that I'm paying to my existing super fund? And then what's it going to cost me to set up and then ongoing manage a self-managed super fund? And that sort of figure breaks about even around two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. What do you mean by breaks even around two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars? So, so if you if you assume that your super fund's paying somewhere between half a percent to a percent in fees yep. inside the retail super space, yep. then at two hundred thousand dollars, you're paying about two thousand dollars in fees. Okay. If you then set up a self-managed super fund, your ongoing annual accounting and auditing is going to be somewhere between $1,500 and $3,000, depending upon the complexity of the investments that you have and the amount of transactions. So if you just buy and hold invest a property and maybe have some exchange traded funds, which is the way you can invest in shares, then your self-managed super fund is going to be pretty cheap to look after. It's going to have a few transactions per year. Um, If you go day trading Forex, then it's going to be super expensive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. on the high end. Okay, so that that's the main difference. So there. you're looking at around two two to three thousand um, dollars if it's quite a simple minimal transactions. Let's just say you're going and buying a, an investment property and holding onto that for the long term. Uh, you're looking at around two or three grand a year. Well, one to two thousand ongoing yep. if it's um, just a single property in there okay. and some super contributions because yep. uh, that's re- relatively really simple to, to look after. Yep. And, it, and then as you get more and more transactions, there's, there's more and more complexity. And would you do more transactions in that same self-managed super fund? So if someone buys a property through their SMSF, can they then do they then set up a second SMSF to buy a different property or are they doing all their investment purchases through that one SMSF? No. So once the self-managed super fund has been set up, yep. then it's the it's your super fund going forward and you can have multiple different investments 
property investments under that one super trust. Okay. The ATO doesn't like having mo- multiple SMSF set up so you're a member of multiple funds. Yep. They want each member to be in one single self-managed super fund. Okay, cool. And so in terms of setup costs, what are, what are, we, what are we thinking for setup costs there? So setup costs are anywhere from $1,000 to $2,000, depending upon whether you're getting a That's financial- cheap. Yeah, depending on whether you're getting a financial advisor uh, to, to help you with some advice around that. Yep. Like there are online portals, which you can get it set up for free. Wow, yep. okay. The problem with some of those online portals is they then sign you up for the ongoing accounting and auditing, and that's yep. where you get stung. It's really difficult right. to deal with them. It's all online. You know, but it's, it's the same thing as like some people like to bank with CBA. Yeah. Some people like to bank with Ubank. Yeah. You have the full online experience, but something goes wrong, and you, it's very difficult to get help. Yeah. Nothing against Ubank. It's just all those online providers. Yeah. They just came to the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you bank. <laughs> and in CBA, you can walk into a branch. Yeah. And so that's the main difference with, with setting up a self-managed system. And you either need to go and educate yourself as if you were a sort of an accountant, financial advisor to ensure that you do not break any of the rules and regulations around superannuation. Yeah. Or you go and get an advisor to set it all up. And then that person is always there to then bounce questions off. And I would assume that most people setting up an SMSF are this type of personality traits that are happy to pay someone to to set it up and get the advice off. That would be my assumption. I think it's actually split 50-50. I think okay. the people that are most interested in taking control of their financial future, they are really interested in, you know, reducing the amount of fees that they're paying, taking responsibility and they're educating themselves. So, yeah. I actually think that it's it's split. Some okay. people are like, I'm super busy. I know I should be doing this. I don't want to have to learn all this space. Yeah. I'm happy to pay someone who's a professional who's going to look after my best interests. Yeah. And then the other on the other foot, they're like, no, 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 I'm going to learn all of this and then I'm going to implement. Yeah, okay. Okay, that totally makes sense. So if someone was going to go and set up their super, uh, set, set up their SMSF, sorry, how much money would you recommend to buy pro- property through SMSF? What's the minimum that you'd recommend in terms of income and in terms of uh, savings? Yep. So that's a great question. That's two prongs. I'll, set, I'll, I'll start with the capital. So there's no minimum amount that you need to have in superannuation to set up a self-managed super fund. Yep. I mean, when it comes to property, you can buy property in Australia for under $100,000 and you can buy it for $10 million. Yeah. So it's going to come down to looking at your strategy. So if you're looking at buying a shed in the outback <laughs> For ninety thousand dollars, you probably only need fifty grand in super. Okay. Yeah, and just ten thousand dollars of super contributions going in, and that will fund the deposit, have enough surplus cash flow in there to be able to buffer any loan. You can go and get a loan for fifty grand. Yeah. So that would work. Okay. I don't know how many houses you can buy for a hundred grand <laughs> that are in growth areas that are high in good yield. I'll leave that to yeah, you. Yeah. Then you're going to have the maintenance costs and all those other headaches that come with that. <laughs> so, so that that's one I, I was supposed to know it, but but. It, Truthfully, it comes back to the fees. So, look, around that two hundred to three hundred thousand is what you want to have in a self-managed super fund to be able to go and buy property. And the and the reason for that also is, like, my investment philosophy in properties is fairly aligned to you. I like to buy meat and potatoes type of property where mums and dads are going to be looking to rent in that area because it's close to schools and transport and work and all, yeah, you know, all the fundamentals that you talk about on exactly. this show every week. Yeah. And that price point is somewhere between five hundred to eight hundred thousand, yeah. yeah, depending on which capital city. So a twenty to thirty percent deposit is somewhere between you know one hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars. Sure. Yeah. So if you think about that, that's the sort of money you need to have in your self managed super fund to commence it okay. to implement that property strategy. So one of the benefits with a self managed super fund is it's not just one member. So 
you can actually have up to six members. So if you've got six people with $80,000, you're going to have more than enough money in there to not only probably buy one property, but probably buy two properties. Right, okay. And so these are some of the things that you you want to want to be looking at or thinking about. But the majority of self-managed super funds are either set up by business partners. Yeah. So partners and well, business partners and their partners, so yep. four people or, or six that way, or family. So husband, wife, or brother, sister, and their partners, and that can go out to a, a multiple of six. Okay. All right, cool. Because that was going to be one of my questions in, in regards to can you can you and your partner join your current super super amount to go into one SMSF, which you've which you just answered. So you see business partners do that quite often as well, do you? Yeah, so we see business partners doing that to buy a premises that they're going to, so a commercial premises. So a really powerful strategy which investors use is I'm a mechanic, and I want to buy the premises down the road yep. because I run a successful mechanics business, yep. but I don't have the deposit or the revenue outside to be able to secure that particular property or there's some tax advantages of buying it in, a, in, a, in my super. Sure. So I then go and buy that premises, set it all up, and then I have the best tenant in the world. It's me. <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then so the way you can do that is self-managed super fund legislation has a rule that you can rent from yourself business real property. So that's any commercial space. So we see a lot of um, business people doing that because they have that security of they know who the tenant is. So if a business owner wanted to go and buy their own, buy a property to then rent them back to themselves, is that for taxation per benefits essentially? So, so well, one, your rent, so your business, your mechanics business is paying $150,000 a year in rent. Yeah. It's now going to a landlord. You can then take that $150,000 business expense and you can put that in your superannuation. So you're now fun, you're now using the same amount of money, yeah. but you're actually growing your own wealth. Yeah. Okay. Then if you buy the premises inside a self-managed super fund, you are able to, if you keep that property to over the age of 60, when you retire, you can put transfer that into pension phase, which means you pay no capital gains tax on that property. Yeah. And you pay no income tax. So that $150,000 worth of income that's now coming in from your business is now tax-free. Okay, and then let's play devil's advocate here. Let's just say that mechanic shuts down, business goes bust and it shuts down. And then the two options there would be where that mechanic would need to try rent that premises out. If they had to sell it, then they're just bound to the, the taxes and, and fees that they'd have to pay prior to yeah, selling. Yeah, but again, so most commercial property is purchased in a, a company or a unit trust. So the tax thresholds there are somewhere between, say, 49 to 25% in terms of your capital gains tax. Yep. Inside super, if you've owned the asset for less than 12 months, it's 15%. If you've owned it for more than 12 months, it's 10%. So it's quite a significant difference. Wow, the superannuation okay. environment. So when you think of superannuation, it's just a tax-effective vehicle for you to have long-term investing to fund your retirement. So that's what you need to think of it as. Yeah, okay. And in terms of, in terms of the asset type, so obviously – us as buyers agents, we know what type of investment properties are the best investment properties for a specific client. But from a financial advice perspective, the the asset type for an SMSF, what are sort of the key things that someone should consider if they are looking to buy a property through their SMSF? So in, in an SMSF, it's more the things that you can't do rather than what you should consider. Or, or, yeah, so things like building a granny flat. You can't do if you've got debt on the property. Things like putting a second story on. So there are some limitations as to changing the use of the property if you own that property in a self-managed super fund. Yes, you can make minor repairs and maintenance, yep. but you can't do massive renovations, change bathrooms, change kitchens, change the layout. It's yep. really restrictive in that um, sense if you've got debt on that property. Okay. 
if you don't have debt on that property, then you can basically do anything, but most property has a loan attached to it. Yeah, but and, and you, you can't pull equity out of that property anyway. So trying to add value to it, or correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I mean, from from my understanding, you can't pull out equity on that property to buy future assets. So, so there, there has been some changes in lending. Okay. So some banks now are allowing you to refinance your existing property and bring capital out inside the self-managed super fund so that you can then continue to invest. Wow. So that has been a recent change okay. in the last little bit, but historically none of the lenders were allowing you to refinance and get any equity out. And how common is that? Because I know that's one of the- It's not very. Not very common. Okay. Because I know one of the main reasons why, what are the drawbacks of buying through property, you know, property, the, the power of property is being able to leverage off the equity to, to accumulate more assets down the track. But um, one of the things that was holding people back in doing that from the conversations that we were having was not being able to sort of leverage that equity. Look, the key thing with a self-managed super fund investment is you're looking to buy a residential, or let's say a investment property that you're going to hold for 20 to 30 years. Yeah. And it's just gonna be a buy and hold strategy. So you want to slowly pay down the debt, don't pay any extra because all of the additional contributions and accumulation of assets within the super fund is going to assist growing the whole portfolio for you. Um, And the way you look at that is, if I'm reducing the debt on my investment property, is my investment property becoming more valuable? No, you're just reducing the debt. Yep, so yes, you've got more equity, but if I then take that same $100 and I put that into an ETF and then I've got my property, which is going up at 8% and I've yep. got my ETF, which is going up at 8%, I'm actually compounding the cap- capital that I have available in my super fund. Correct. Faster. Yeah. So you don't, if you're looking at self-managed super fund investing, particularly for property, you're not really looking at building a five property portfolio. Yeah. You're really looking at getting one, maybe two properties, depending on the, how many members. So if there's, six members, you might want to try and get three. Yeah. If there's just two members, if it's just a husband and wife or brothers or whatever, then you probably only need one. And we'll go through a scenario later about the compounding difference and how that works. And also over time, so as a financial advisor, what you want to do is you want to build a diversified portfolio. So if in your 30s and 40s you go out and buy that residential property, you've pretty much siphoned all of the money in your superannuation, put that into property. Yeah. So then over the next... 20 or 30 years, you want to then build up your assets in equities and also bonds and cash and yep. various investments so that when you reach re- when you reach retirement, you have a diversified balanced portfolio. And when I talk about balanced portfolio, 35% in equities, yep. 35% in property, 30% in cash and bonds. Sure. Okay. So one of the strategies, obviously, everyone we speak to is heavily property focused and yep. heavily um, believes in property. And one of the strategies that a lot of the people that we speak to are having in terms of their property side. Now we don't get into get into detail with their other assets, but what they are looking to do, and, and this might be suitable for those listeners who are more who are more, I guess, confident in property rather than a- other asset classes. They might have three or four pro- uh, three or four properties in their own name, or you know, in in different trusts, or what it might be. However, they'll then buy one property through their SMSF, and it's that one property in their SMSF that will. S- pay down the majority of their debt in the other three or four properties when they do hit 60 because uh, you're not paying capital gains on that on that property that you do sell through your SMSF at that age. Yeah, potentially. Some of the risks of having a lot of property in your SMSF as you're reaching retirement is the yield that's coming out. So when you're buying these properties in the beginning, we're looking for, well, what are we looking for, Bobby, when we buy a property? Or well, we're looking for capital growth and, and, and yield. And high yield. So yeah. you're looking at a plus five, 6% yield. Yeah. 
But as that property goes from 600000 to a million to two and a half million dollars, you're not going to get a 6% yield on your $2 million. You're going to get like one and a half, percent <laughs> Exactly, yeah? that's right. Because rents don't go up at the same pace, the same velocity as what capital gains has historically. And past performance does not mean future. So blah, 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 <laughs> yeah. blah, blah, blah. There's my disclaimer. <laughs> We've <laughs> got a disclaimer in here, so. Okay. And if, yeah, so, okay, good. Um, so when you've got that, where you're not really generating enough income to be able to fund that retirement. So you're really forced into selling that asset and to be able to then restructure it to generate the income stream that you need to then fund your long-term income out of superannuation. And that strategy was interesting where you were sort of saying they've got three properties outside of super and they've got one property in and you sell the one property outside of superannuation. Sorry, you sell the one property inside the super. Inside super, pull that money out tax-free and then pay for the other debt. So the, the detriment to doing something like that Sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> we, we don't set up these strategies, yeah, yeah, just yeah. so you know. It's just what people's plans are when they so, come to So one to of us. the detriments <laughs> that we see in that is that inside superannuation, you pay no capital gains and no income tax when you're in pension phase. Yeah. So it's a really, really tax-effective way to hold and store your wealth long-term. Yeah. In that scenario that you were talking about before, you would probably be much better off selling down your investment properties outside of superannuation, paying the taxes that you need to, doing non-concessional contributions into your super fund. So then all other future income and future gain on that capital is tax-free. I went through a few things there. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, if you've again got a couple, you can then get a million dollars into superannuation, which is then tax-free income, tax-free capital gains going forward. Yeah, okay. That totally makes sense as well. So, and this is where, like, I, when a layperson goes out and puts these strategies together for themselves, they don't necessarily always understand all the intricacies of the broader picture. And this yeah. is where going and sitting down with a financial advisor that is a, is a specialist in this area so they can help you lay it all out and just simply identify some of the, the pitfalls that are always along the way. But yeah. both of those strategies will work um, long-term. Yeah. It's, yeah. If you've got three properties and money in super, you're going to be, you're doing pretty You're doing good at retirement anyway. Good, yeah. <laughs> um, so look, what's the biggest, we've seen over the last 12 months or 18 months, uh, SMSF purchases go through the roof, uh, people who are, com- who are coming to us to, to help them purchase. What's the biggest reason? What are the biggest benefits uh, of people doing that? So it's volatility of other investment markets. Yeah. People get their statement in 2020 and they're like, yeah, I've got 150 grand. And then at the end of 2021, they're like, oh, I've got 75 grand. So, yeah. you know, uh, the bond market and equity markets have been absolutely hammered uh, since the global virus crisis came onto planet earth (laughs) and it's still very volatile you know in December we had the worst finish to a year that we've seen in a long time and then in January we have an amazing return and they've just sort of balanced out so people just don't like that volatility of of assets I think and more people are now becoming educators or hang on a second I've actually now got $200,000 $200,000 worth of capital in my super, what can we now do with it? Yeah. So I think that's also a reason. And a lot of the people who have invested in their superannuation their entire lives, so people our age in their sort of mid-40s, they have quite significant super balances of between that two to 300000 and they're looking at different ways of how to actually invest that to reach their financial goals. And uh, I know we're going to talk about this now in terms of the two different case studies that you have, but the biggest power is essentially the power of leverage. That's why we all love property so much, right? So why don't we crunch a few numbers? Let's just say someone's got that $200,000 deposit $200,000 in their super just going at, at, at st- your standard standard 8% and then if someone sets up an SMS and buys a property through yeah. there. So I'm not going to entertain the argument of which returns better, property or equities or bonds. Or property, or, or, property or, or of course. Of that. <laughs> you know, I, 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 
Diversification, <laughs> balanced portfolio. <laughs> but if you just assume that the property market and the equity market is going to return the same amount over that same time horizon, yep. then the power of you being able to leverage, say, a $200,000 superannuation portfolio into a $500,000 property. So you take $150,000 worth of your capital, you yep. put that down as a deposit and costs, yep. and you go and buy a $500,000 Place. Yep. So now your superannuation value is now 550000 Yeah. If you now compound 550000 at 8% over the next 25 years, that is going to significantly outperform a $200,000 portfolio compounded at 8%, 100%. simply because of the leverage. Yeah. And then so I ran a, just a quick scenario for you. If you have a married couple, uh, one partner's on 125000 the other partner's on sort of seventy five, and they've got 210000 in super. Yeah. If they then just do their normal super contributions, nothing additional, then from 40 to 65, the superannuation grows to just under $2 million. Yep. And this is just average returns over time. That's yep. keeping their portfolio as is. Yep. The power of property, if you do leverage up and you go and buy that $500,000 property, then your portfolio value at age 65 is actually just under $4 million. Wow. So nearly double. What's the com- that compounding yeah. of nearly... Tr- you know, double and a half, two and a half times your capital yeah. is what drives that value. So as long as you're investing in those high growth, high yield areas, which you're a specialist in, <laughs> so come to Bobby to get some good advice on that. <laughs> well, that's where I send all my clients. That is what's going to drive your long-term outperformance. It's simply the same principles as if you buy a property outside of superannuation. So if yeah. you have $50,000 in cash, you can go and put that 50000 into an ETF yeah. and it's 50000 or you can go and put that into a property for 300,000. Yep. Yeah. And so that 300,000 goes up at 10%, you make 30 grand. The 50,000 goes up by 10%, you make five. Yeah, we do a ton of content about this purely on leverage. And we also speak to, to prospects and clients about this all the time where that's where the power, there's no other asset class that I know of where you can borrow. I know we're talking about SMSF, but outside of SMSF, you can borrow 95 or 90% or 80%. SMSF, you can do 80%, yep. correct? So there is no other asset class that you can leverage as aggressively. So if it sits with your risk profile and, and what you're comfortable with, your returns, even if it's still at that 8% or 7% average, let's assume it is, it's still going to grow a lot further. So so I'm totally aligned with that. And that's predominantly around the, the valuation methodology of property and the low volatility environment that we have. You know, yeah. We've never seen property drawdowns in Australia of 50 or 60%. Yeah. We have on multiple occasions in the equity markets. So that's why the people who are lending you the money are much more comfortable in, in doing that. And, you yeah. know, in Australia, we have a fundamental undersupply of property in this country for the amount of people that need housing. And we just had 200 plus thousand people, 200,000 plus people come back into the country again net over the last 12 months. So it's going to be interesting over the next three years. It's interesting times for very difficult times for tenants. It's, it's going to be very, very difficult and, and rents are significantly increasing almost across the board. And that's not going to, inc- that's not going to improve over the next two years, I don't think. We've had development approvals start to increase. However, we know it takes years for those developments to actually finish. So now we've got to ramp up in migration and there's no no stock to actually, you know, um, to fuel that, fuel that demand. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, rents are going to continue to increase exponentially um, because there's a, a complete undersupply. And also over the last three years, a lot of Australians have come home from where they're living abroad and sort of resettled here. So that's taken even more properties off off the market. And now as they start to boost uh, immigration, because they're trying to double, they're trying to make up 
what we lost the last, few the years, last yeah. couple of years, and that's going to apply even more pressure. And, you know, you have ASX publicly listed property developers going under. Wow. You yeah. have then medium-tier property developers also going under. And, yeah. and the main reason for that is because you have fixed-price building contracts that have been entered into. During the global virus crisis, you have exponential price increase of all of your materials. Yeah. And then, so therefore they can't complete those contracts profitably, but not even profitably, they lose money. So yeah. they have to close their doors. Yeah. So that's been a, a huge hindrance to just bringing property onto the market yeah. um, over the last couple of years. Uh, and also like building approvals, everything is just, is just slower. Yeah. So I know for the, um, for the guests or I shouldn't say for the guests, sorry, for the, um, for the members inside the lazy equity group, you do want to, um, put this, put this template in terms of the case studies and a few other key points or a YouTube video rather, isn't it? Yeah. So look, explaining how to set up a self-managed super fund, how the trust is structured, how the debt is put together, it's complex and it's much simpler to explain with visual context. So what I'll do is for the lazy equity group that you have, yep. I'll actually put together a YouTube video and publish that, which will step through how to set up a self-managed super fund, the minimum requirements, the fee ranges that is going to, that they're going to need, how to structure the debt inside a SMSF, because you need to set up a security trust and a, and a security trustee. Yep. So you've got a trust inside a trust. Okay. It's complicated. Yeah. Yep. That's why um, we're doing the YouTube video. That's why we do the YouTube video. And then also just, I'll then step you through also the comparison between whether you take a $200,000 portfolio and you just grow that out or whether you leverage that into property and what that looks like over time, and they'll be able to see all of that. Amazing. So by the time we post this podcast, probably in about two weeks' time, or we're recording at the moment on the 2nd of February, in about two weeks' time, can we expect that YouTube video to be up? 100%. Perfect. So we'll put that in the Lazy Equity Facebook group. For those of you listening, if you're not part of that group, please join in. There's a ton of value in there. But I think we've unpacked a lot of information, which is going to help a lot of people uh, and give them a lot of food for thought moving forward. Mate, thanks a lot for, uh, for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast. The advice given on this podcast is of a general nature only, and you should make your own decisions before taking any financial risks. If you would like to stay in touch with the show, join the Lazy Equity Facebook group or find the Investors Agency on Instagram and Facebook.